Welcome to the podcast of The Urban Mystic. Thanks for joining us uh, for this episode. Today we're in conversation with Wayne Jacobson, a phenomenal man filled with incredible wisdom and insight. I got hold of him, uh, I'd read an article of his about uh, sort of institutional community versus relational community, and it was just something that sparked interest around the conversations Tim and I have been having and some of the research we're doing and the directions that we are moving in and the itches that we're scratching, etc. And so Wayne was very generous to give us an hour and a half of his time and we covered a wide range of terrain from establishing new spiritual trailheads and, and what it means to, to walk kind of differently relationally in this world through to such a simple statement but so profound around him moving from a pastoring perspective where he was trying to almost force feed and push people in their spiritual growth and direction into a simple statement of now I just work with hungry people um, and it's something that we've encountered before in conversations with for example Brian McLaren here on the podcast um, and so we really you know, we're grateful that you join us for this episode and hope that you get as much out of this conversation as we did. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts in response. Um, we're busy crafting season five as we look towards um, just some some really new exciting conversations, hopefully with some new guests as well. Um, but Tim and I are hard at work on our back and forth between the two of us on uh, this upcoming season. And so that uh, we will start recording soon and we're really looking forward to sharing it with you all. But we'd love to hear from you on anything you've listened to in the past, um, or if you just want to get hold of us and have your own conversation, talk about your own spirituality, your uh, relational living, your perspectives of God, your experience of God, whatever that might be, um, that's something that we love doing on a week-by-week -week and day-by-day -day basis. So thank you for listening, and uh, let's jump across now to our conversation with Wayne. Well, Wayne, it's, it's simply lovely to have you join us after a random invite via email over the internet. Um, and come and have a conversation with us uh, around some of the things that I put you on that email and uh, whatever else kind of comes up as we're chatting. Um, as I said just now, I came across your work um, through a mutual friend and connection uh, who had posted a, a blog post that you'd written. Um, and I went and read that and a few others and then had a look at your bio and just thought, Chef, we must really, I'd love to have a conversation with this man and, and hear some more about his life story. Um, and that's usually where we start, is to invite you to share with us and, and our listeners some of your life story and what's brought you to where you are now. Um, but within that, we love to put our finger on these, um, on these questions of experiences of God. And how would you recount to us your earliest experiences of God or your first foremost and, and sort of formational and foremost, foremost experiences of God? Um, and so if that's enough of a direction to, to kick off in, then over to you. Um, and thank you so much again. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my honor. I appreciate you guys uh, making the invite and uh, happy to see where this goes and love, love the journey seemingly are on. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, my first experience with God were a very young age. I grew up around God's things, but those were more religiously acclimated for me, which was more about human effort in the way I define religion as opposed to God inspired. But there were moments in that when I knew, even as an eight, nine, 10 year old boy, where I knew I wasn't alone in the universe, there was a presence greater than me. And I had a hunger to know that presence and to know who God was and had a lot of conflict 
conflicting emotions and all of that, because I was growing up in a very religious environment that made God scary. At the same time, I'm having some experiences with the presence that I thought, gee, he, that presence not as scary as I've been taught he's supposed to be. So this must be the Jesus side of it, because he's the nice side of God as I was learning. it. <laughs> so I was very endeared to Jesus growing up and uh, very terrified of the father. Um, uh, and particularly around, I think my atonement story, what I believe the cross was about. Mm-hmm. Um, that went through a number of changes, felt called a full-time Christian ministry at a young age. I wouldn't say that the same way now, but I kind of went that direction and became a pastor and, uh, got really disillusioned quickly with the whole mega church growth, high growth, institutionalized environment, particularly because it seemed to compete with the affection I had to know God and follow him. Mm. So I was in that five years and then planted an alternative kind of community of house churches kind of group. And that fell apart in 15 years um, with a power play on part of some of the elders and just feeling like God invited me away from that. Um, And it was not my inclination. I'm the third of four boys that grew up on a grape vineyard in central California. So I'm, I'm much more prone to fight and compete than to walk away. But I, (laughs) <laughs> I felt like when this little coup was staged, my best friend of 15 years and co-pastor had announced my resignation one Sunday morning when I was out of town speaking elsewhere. Oh, wow. And I had not resigned, but, and I've told the story a lot on the internet, so I'm sure people have heard tons of it, but I am coming back into that environment and ready to, you know, break some heads and win this fight. And I had the authority and affection of the people. I, I had everything I needed to win this fight, oh. but I felt like there was this inkling in my heart that said, I have more to teach you if you walk away than if you stay. Mm. And it's about 42 at this time. I'd been involved in 20 years of professional ministry, and I had no idea what more I needed to learn. I thought I knew everything I needed to know, (laughs) uh, which shows the hubris of the moment. But uh, ended up outside of that two very painful years, heard a different story, the atonement in Australia that really began to shape a different view of Jesus and the Father. Uh, and the more I lived outside of the constraints of the institutional involvement I had had, I began to discover the real community I'd been trying to replicate inside the institution. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a wake up call. Cause I always, I never expected that I would quote unquote, leave the church and then that I wouldn't get mm-hmm. back to it someday. Yeah. Uh, but I've just never made it back. That was around about 27 years ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, so since then, I've, I've written a lot. I've uh, podcasted a lot. I've got 820 podcasts at the God Journey. Uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of conversations with people on, on a journeys of what it is to know God and to live in his love and to make a profound impact on the world mm. by the lives we live, not the achievements we make. So mm. that's, that's the broad sweep. I, I think the first <laughs> 25 years of trying to live with our first 42 years, trying to live with God religiously were incredibly frustrating. There are moments of visitation, awareness, reality, and then that fades away into Wayne's hard work for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, past 42, I think I've learned to live inside that love in a way that now fulfills every desire I've had for relationship with him. But it's far from perfect. I feel like I'm just on the starting ramp of what a life in him could really look like. And so I'm now, instead of living in the frustration of all that, I live in the fulfillment of a growing relationship with God that's changing my life every day. Sure. This, what a fantastic um, start. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic start. It's um, it's a very short summary for, um, for, for a life well lived. <laughs> yeah. Um, Drill down I, wherever you want to. Cool. 
Sorry, Steve, did you want to jump in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless you're going with something. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious about those early experiences. Um, and, and I'm thinking you've got a clear understanding of, I guess, the differences between religion and the external influences on your idea of God. And, uh, you know, upon reflection, what some of your emergent experiences were in terms of your own engagement that came into some kind of clash with that. Does that, does that make sense as a, as a framework? Yeah, I believe um, it does. Because, because in light of that, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know if, if when looking back, you can picture yourself from within your life as, as the younger you starting to have those experiences of, of God. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's a curious mixture of process and events during that as well. So I don't want to take any way, anything away from that. And, and recognize it as that. But I'd love to hear about what some of those were, what, what the felt experience was like, how you wrestled with that back then. Um, if that makes sense, if that's a broad enough uh, stroke and question. <laughs> <laughs> it's broad enough. I hope I, hope I think, I, I hope I know what you're asking. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a lot of things. It's, it's being moved by things, right? You're in a song service, which we unfortunately call worship services, but I think uh, misnamed, mm -hmm. but there's moments when you just sense presence beyond you. Mm -hmm. There's uh, things I was reading in scripture that engaged my heart. And living letters came out about that time, a real simplified version of the Bible. Up till then, it only been King James. And uh, I, could, I could finally read the gospels in ways and things Jesus said and the way he treated people kind of endeared my heart. There were moments there. I remember one formative moment out in my dad's vineyard. I went out there kind of toward twilight there was still enough light out but it was on toward dusk and it was kind of in the uh, early spring and uh, I just I remember just being out there God if you're real I really want to know you and that's that's a prayer I encourage people to pray a lot God if sure. you're real would you show yourself to me and I remember praying that and I, I don't know what I was expecting I didn't really you know expect a, a burning bush or anything but mm. there, there was a well hopefully not in your dad's vineyard yeah yeah really <laughs> Yeah, those, those movies aren't too accurate. Though. The vineyards don't burn. It's just nothing you can do to burn a vineyard. It's stuff to do. Anyway, uh, there was just this gentle breeze that just kind of blew across me. And, and then it's like all of creation became alive. I don't know how to describe it other than that. There was no external mm -hmm. thing that anybody would have seen. But all of a sudden, I was really aware that his, he was very near. And because sure. I was a good Baptist, it scared, it scared me to death, man. I remember running back to my dad's farm going, I'm never doing that again. That's just weird. <laughs> uh, but it was also endearing. It was also a sense of, oh boy, if, if God is real, because we were, we were talking like he was, like we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. But mm. I, I wasn't even at 9, 10, 11. I'm looking around saying, I don't think people are really living like he is. I mean, I, that's, that was the disconnect for me. Yeah. And uh, I just said, God, if you're real, I want to follow you. Unbeknownst to him, at the time, my dad was praying the same prayer. He was a good Baptist and involved in the leadership and dragging his kids to church every Sunday, but he hated it. And he was, God, if you're real, I want to know you. And uh, that's prayers that God began to answer inside my family with a greater connection to him. To This is the earliest, the mid-60s, early 60s. So this is... Mm very much in the early days of the charismatic renewal before it went all sideways into the prosperity, you know, humanistic kind of self-fulfillment thing that it ended up in. 
uh, very genuine days of the Holy Spirit just making himself real in hearts and beginning to provide a connection to the Father and learning to remember things God said to me. The first time I felt like God spoke to me, it was a thought in my head. I didn't hear voices, but I, there was a thought in my head that was mm. better than me. It was kind of inviting me into something I, I wouldn't have chosen for myself. Mm-hmm. And so those kind of moments were very formative. I'm going, man, you got, God speaks to me. God wants to talk to me. And God has a way for me to navigate life. At the same time, I'm a kid, right? I've got the same temptations and struggles. And there's times when I'm kind of hot on fire for Jesus. And the times I really want to pursue the ways of the world. My friends were, you know, acid dropping, pot smoking. This was the 60s, man. Free love, free sex. I was the good deed, two shoes, Pharisee kid that wouldn't go to dances and wouldn't do all that stuff. But it wasn't that I, my sins were more on the side of arrogance and feeling better than other people who were those horrible sinners around me. And, mm-hmm. and I got, I got certainly moments of the, that of God's ascending revelation in my life. And there's also Wayne's struggle with sin and temptation and brokenness and getting distracted by things in the world. I wanted to pursue. I wanted to be an air traffic controller. I didn't really mm-hmm. want to go quote unquote into ministry. So it, it was a it was a perplexing time because both are there, and I can I can look at the undercurrents of God inviting me in. I also see Wayne trying to be wayward and uh, wanting to live to his own amusements. Sure, sure. And I'm I'm fascinated by that prayer that you pray in the vineyard, Wayne. Like I'm 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 just trying to picture something. I can picture some sort of rolling hills, and I see vineyards, and I see a young man sit, sort of standing out there, and I think to myself. In, in some ways, you've, you've given us some of what brought you there. But that's one of my first questions is, what brings someone to risk that kind of, that kind of prayer, that kind of moment, that kind of vulnerability? You know, you say, you're a good Baptist, so it happens, and then you, you run back thinking, <laughs> what, what on earth was that? But mm-hmm. with, without, uh, I'm struggling to frame the question without projecting, because I just think, what did you experience previous to that that was not that yet? It, it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. You know, you've, you've said you, you kind of watched people living as if Jesus was alive, but asking the question, well, speaking as if Jesus is alive and, and asking the question of, well, and how are we living? Mm-hmm. Were there things that you kind of tasted and then even at that young age are going, yeah, that's not enough. You know, it's, it's not, it's not it that then leads you out into that vineyard. God, if you're real, show yourself to me, speak to me. Um, are, there, are there any sort of moments along the way of things that you tasted and then put down that, that is, is it that process of trying things and eventually ending up with, this is the only last option I have is to actually ask, God to appear in God's self rather than mediated through any mm. institution, church, people, anything like that. Uh, was it not that? That's a whole jumble of questions. Is, can you make anything of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I'm hearing you ask it, I, I don't think of anything at those ages that would have felt mm-hmm. like I was disillusioned with something or I wanted more. Mm, okay. It wasn't really that. Now, again, my pastoring years, 20s and 30s, and doing all this hard work for God and not seeing God mm. reveal himself in the way I thought our good efforts would produce, mm. now, I, I have that there. I, at the younger ages, I, I just was, it was, just was a hunger that 
I, I, I th- I, looking back, I would say it was more drawn probably out of my heart by a work of God's spirit rather than something Wayne was trying to do. I think mm. God sure. really put that prayer in my heart. I just found Jesus endearing. I was reading the Gospels and mm, the sure. song, We Serve a Liz- Living Savior. He's in the world today. So those two things, I think what, it was what put me in that vineyard saying, God, if you're real, I want to know. It wasn't a desperate prayer. It wasn't, mm-hmm. okay. uh, it wasn't a last gasp of something. It was just... If you're real, if you really are alive, I want to know that. Because I don't know that I've felt anything other than Christianity touching my brain and my humanity with theology and doctrine. And I wouldn't use those words at that mm-hmm. age, obviously. But yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of thoughts about God, but it's not, it's not God. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was more of a curiosity, just, God, if you exist, I want to know. I didn't even expect them to answer it at the moment. I wasn't like mm-hmm. looking for something to happen. I just okay. was saying... If you're real, I mean, I love taking walks. I still do. I take a four mm-hmm. mile walk every morning. So I, I loved as a kid, I love walking in the vineyard and usually with the dogs. And so it, it wasn't unusual to be out there. It was just in that walk. There was this, God, if you're real, I want to know you. And I, I may have been a spirit provoked prayer, actually. Mm. You know, that's what I ask. Oh, sorry. That's not what I ask. <laughs> Reframe that. That's what I'm now wondering after I have asked that. Mm. Is it's as if you describe some sort of beckoning almost. Mm. Mm. Does that sort of sit with you, or you're not wanting to even? Would you not hold on to that too firmly, even? Because mm. it no, sounds I, almost I, what you're describing. There's there's a there's a call, mm. and answer even if it's not clear. Yeah, Jesus. What Jesus said, unless no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So I'm very comfortable with the fact that there is some drawing going on in my heart that provoked sure. the prayer. That was outside of myself yeah it's fascinating sure and and at some other point you describe some of your earliest journey you used the words along the lines of you know this god is supposed to be scary mm. but you started to and and i'm gonna get it wrong because it it struck me and then the words seemed to disappear quite quickly but i wasn't sure as if you were experiencing god not to be so scary or is it a learning about God that is not so scary? Was, could you, would you be able to tell me more about that? What is that? This God is supposed to be scary, but I'm realizing not so much. Uh, and then you talk about Jesus as the good guy versus the father as the, the bad guy in a way. Yeah, there's probably a 40-year trajectory through all that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that God ever stopped being scary to me until... Okay. I was 42 and I heard this different story, the atonement from some Anglican mm. priests mm. in Australia, actually. Yeah. And, and uh, I was up till then it was the atonement story shaped so much of our heart, right? Jesus is dying this horrible, degrading, painful death that God mm. needs to satisfy his justice. So that makes Jesus endearing. That makes God just frightfully confusing. And mm-hmm. then when you add that, the Old Testament stories of blowing up Sodom and Gomorrah and the Noah's flood. And there's just mm-hmm. so many stories where you go, boy, God is a terrifying presence. Jesus mm-hmm. came to make God nice to us. That's kind of how mm-hmm. I shaped it out. I would always talk about God as love. I mean, I taught it right all the time, but the theology out of our mouths and the emotions in our heart are very different realities. <laughs> Yeah, there's, well it, there's, there's, there's a very real incongruency between the claim that God is love and then those those stories you're referring to and the default setting as as though God is, uh, you know, there's a smart button somewhere, surely still functional in relation to those events <laughs> that could be mm. pushed in relation to us, perhaps. 
There, there is. And then when you read stuff about love in the New Testament, even the first Corinthians 13 test, if that's what love is, we mostly believe God is the opposite of those things. Mm. We don't believe God really fulfills that. And my understanding of love, you know, God's asking me to be a better person than he is when I was growing up and all this. So I'm supposed to love my enemies. God gets to blast his off the planet. And it just <laughs> seems like there's a real incongruity is a great word. It just doesn't seem to make sense. And yet, that's all you've got. So you've just, you know, and if God's got the get out of hell free card, and that's what motivating you to stay in this thing, then God gets to be whatever creepy person he is. You just have to tolerate that. Um, but really spend most of your time hanging out with Jesus because he seems to be the safe one. You could almost picture those, those words in the mountain being, uh, and at the baptism being slightly different as opposed to this, my son in whom I'm well pleased what on earth do you think you're doing, Jesus? Finish that Isaiah text off and get onto the day of judgment, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And I think there's a lot of conflict in, in religious people, particularly the way we read the Old Testament, which I think leaves us with God as a very terrifying presence instead of he's the rescuer in the world. He's always been the rescuer in the story. And in Jesus and the cross, God's not the angry deity being sated by the horrible death of his most beloved son. This is father and son perfecting a cure for sin inside themselves. And it's love in the form of wrath, but it's not God's wrath, not opposite of his love. It's love taking sin and consuming it in the words of Romans eight in the likeness of sinful flesh. So that's a very real curative process, almost like a chemotherapy of God taking our disease into himself. He, the father made him the son who knew no sin to be sin for us, not just guilty of sins, but to become sin itself so that sin could be destroyed there. That story of the cross put the father in a very different place for me. Mm. He's as much endearing in the story as Jesus is. Mm. And maybe doing the harder work. It was always harder for me to see my kids go through something painful than if I could go through it for them. If I could take their dentist appointment for them or whatever, I would have, because I hate seeing my kids go through painful stuff when they were little. Um, so God's holding this cross story very differently than I had been taught growing up. And that's what changed. The father became now the enduring presence I met that day in my father's vineyard became the reality that I knew. I wasn't scared of him because that presence was scary. I was scared of him because I was taught that presence was scary. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing. So that's that's a 32-year trajectory from that that first uh, almost call back, you know, that that you know you you ping out and you go if you're real, you get a you get a presence coming back. You live in relation to that for for quite a long time. Um you know, like 30, 30, 32, 33 years, you know, in relation to that sense of God. And then you say that there's, there's a telling of the atonement story in Australia that's different. How, how did that story differ? I mean, what, you, know, you know, in terms of the broad theological strokes, the shift was from A to B, and what was that shift? Well, I think it put God on this side of my brokenness and my pain instead of on the other side over there. When I, he can see me through Jesus, he'll finally like me, but he doesn't really see who I am. He doesn't really know what I'm struggling with. Instead, yeah. in Christ, in the incarnation, God with us, he comes on this side of it. And remember, Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of the Father. So anything in my theology of God that had him different than Jesus was flawed, but I, I never made that connection. 
Now I see God as a very endearing presence. And I might say I had 33 years of this presence, but that presence was few and far between because I'm working religious tools on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm resisting it because mostly when I feel like I'm getting close to God, I'm awash in my own shame and wallowing in my own sense of failure and I'm not good enough. And the things I begin to identify as God's voices, yeah, you don't work hard enough. You don't do this enough. You're not holy enough. You're not. And I, I, really, con I really connected the accuser's voice to God's voice. And so that 33 years is incredibly frustrating. It's filled with pain. It's filled with a misunderstanding of what, what was God's voice in my life. And there's moments where God's leading me. And there's moments when I'm teaching things that are beautifully transformative for people, but my own life inside, I'm going, there's something wrong or something missing. And I don't know what that missing part is. And what I taught it was, it was human effort. So we're not doing enough. We know more than we live. So we must live more by human effort. And going back to my own story, and I think what the new covenant says at its heart is, this is a transformation fed by revelation. It begins with God revealing. It doesn't begin with us seeking. And I think that's true as much when we come in the door as it is for me today. My, my life today isn't so much about Wayne seeking from God what Wayne wants, but the open prayer says, God, what do you want to reveal to me today? Who are you giving me to love? What are you giving me to know today? What, what, how do you want me to love Sarah the way, Sarah, way you want Sarah loved? Sarah's my wife of now 46 years. So now I, I believe that everything about this life was meant to be inside. He reveals, we respond, not we achieve and God rewards. That's how I mostly grew up those first 42 years. Hmm. Sure. sure. And Wayne, if I can bring you back, sorry, 10 minutes. You no, no, go, go, go for it. Go for it. I, I, I just, I, you know, I just, I love that phrasing of it, the simplicity of it, of, you know, the self-revealing God who we respond to rather than, you know, the, the hidden God whose approval we seek and we perhaps hit some magical, you know, holiness quotient, pass mark, and then God responds. I, I just like that. But um, yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. I'm I'm kind of wanting to to take a run at that over a slightly longer distance, if I may. And Wayne, you said earlier, you, you mentioned a point in life in which you you heard God's voice for the first time, and. The, that there was an invitation there, which resonates with, with kind of how you're speaking at the moment and the invitation and the response, the revelation, and then the, the response, the stepping into what's been revealed. Um, but then you also talk in this time, in this frustrating and difficult time about other voices mm. coming through. And I'd love to I'd love to know a little bit more about that because that's also something that fascinates me in terms of the clarity of God's voice mm. and the confusion of other voices as well that come in and speak and muddle and I, again so I love how you put it the, the voices that that become God's voice of achieve more do more be better mm. <laughs> all of that all that wonderful life giving stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and and I'd love to know how does that uh, well, does that, and how does it, if it does, resolve over time? Is there a strengthening of an understanding of God's voice? Do those are those voices slowly quietened? Um, is it a disentangling? Uh, you know, you you then use the word the accuser. Um, you know, and so 
how does that trajectory sort of bring you to the space of where you're talking now about, you know, the God who reveals or the God who speaks and we respond to the invitation? Mm. Wow, you guys ask good questions. <laughs> <laughs> you're very kind. <laughs> me thinking deeply. I, I think voices overstates it because when I, when I think okay. when, I, when people talk about voices, they, they really get in weird headspace, like... Mm. You know, there's this externalized voice that comes into my head and heart. And I, I think it's more thoughts and, you know, they, they come like that. Later, you can look back and say, gosh, there was a voice behind that. But it really wasn't so much words. It was insight. Mm. It was mm -hmm. almost at times it's almost spontaneous insight. You see a whole lot at once and you kind of think it out as to what I'm exactly seeing and may put words to it. But it wasn't words starting out. It was mm. just mm sometimes an impulse to love, sometimes an insight into about who God is. I think a lot of it goes on, and I don't, I don't know how to do the anatomy on this, because it's, it's not just our intellect alone. I'm not saying that. And it's not mm -hmm. just our feelings. I'm not saying that either. There's this other part, which scripture describes as the heart, but I don't know what that is anatomically speaking. There's, there's yeah. a part of us that's not just intellect and not just feelings, but there's a part that senses other input, other, um, I don't know what the word is looking for here, other impulses that God, that God or the enemy or, you know, voices, a lot of the voices in my head are voices I've heard in sermons about an angry God. So it's not, it's not a voice. It's the memory of something else that, that plays in your, something someone said to you when they condemned you or something uh, they tried to work harder or for me, cause I achieved well, you know, I, I memorized 170 some odd verses for some scripture memory contest because I have a near total recall with my memory. Second place was 32. And I remember the reward for achievement, how spiritual I felt, which is also false now. But at the time, it was seemed so real. It seemed to be part of what this achievement thing was all about. And I could do it well. So I mean, I was a good Pharisee before my pharisectomy. So look, 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 look this, 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 <laughs> there are these lesser known um, um, fruits of the spirits like arrogance and unkindness and <laughs> you <Yes>. know. <laughs> things that just seem to fit that environment a lot better. So mm -hmm. when I, when I, when we talk about voices, I think, and I say, when I heard it for the first time, I would actually say I recognized it for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think it's been there. And I look back even before that now, and I even the entreaty into the vineyard and the impulse to ask the prayer. And yeah. I, I now look at all that as God's spirit hovering over, inviting yeah. me in. And I yeah. see probably as a young child, there's places where God's making his love known to me, where I know that's more real than that. Yeah. But the religion of Christianity really confused me because it taught me to put weight yeah. to the wrong idea of God's character. Mm. And then that makes you misidentify the thoughts in your head as which ones mm. might be from God mm. and which ones might be from me or which ones might be from a past abusive pastor even, or maybe mm. even a, a good one. But mm. wh where do I center on what, what thoughts in my head reflect God's reality in the world? And what thoughts in my head reflect Wayne's reality or even invite me into greater darkness? Because the world's always trying to twist what God does in us. And I think religion adds even a further twist because now we add self-effort to be good for God, which is mm. there's no bad motive in that. It's just bad methodology. Mm. So, so I so, worked that for 40 some odd years. So I know sure. that world well. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so I'm, I, I'm loving this because there's a, there's a very clear, um, okay, 
Maybe I should backtrack from very clear there just quickly. <laughs> um, very wise. <laughs> with, with, these, with this language of words here, we are really personifying more primal urges, feelings, uh, reactions, um, you know, self-conscious appraisals, all of those kind of things, right? And, and here, here there's a little bit of a distinction in essence between the nine or 10 year old you that prays a simple prayer, God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? And you have a sense of, of, of yes, it's an inner experience. Yes, it is. Um, it, it's, it, it's a primal uh, sense loaded with meaning and, in, you know, almost like a relational engagement, like a, like a voice, but somehow it's, it's, it's distinct from those inner voices that you have, those inner primal feelings that relate perhaps to self-image, you know, program performance, self-appraisal, you know, those kind of things. Um, but it seems that, you know, in retrospect, you've got this clear sense of when God does speak to you and you use the language of few and far between. And I, I imagine those few and far between, when God speaks to you, it's quite clear that God is speaking to you even if it isn't with a quote-unquote audible external voice, you know, like an inner voice or a, um, you, you know, one could even use the language of intuition. You know, your intuition uh, reports something back to you. And in a sense, your intuition is an ear that goes, I'm hearing from God. And, and I know clearly in this case. And in other cases, it's, it's, it's murky and you think you're hearing from God. And that's what almost the superstructure of the religion around you has provided you with. And, and you confuse that with the voice of God. Does that sound sense? Am I, am, am I understanding your experience correctly, reflecting it that way? Yeah, I think you are. Okay. Hmm. And, and so, Wayne, what, I, th I think you've, you've kind of nodded at it, but what was it that started to clarify that for you, hmm. if clarify is the right word? When did you feel as though you were starting to come out of the weeds was it leading up to the experience in Australia? Were there other strands that wove into that? Was that in parallel with other things happening where, where, where you started to, to move away from, you know, you talk, you talk about the pharisectomy. Yeah. I love That's that. not my That's word. Fantastic. A, okay. from a lady. Yeah. Okay, uh, cool. Well, we'll then shamelessly borrow her term. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. So how, how do you, how do you, what, what leads to that point as, as you start to, to, yeah, I don't know, as you start to clarify that or you start to come through that space, um, how, how do you start to recognize the different voices? And, I, and I'm with you on that. I'd put that in inverted commas as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just an analogous way of understanding some of what we're trying to talk about as we grasp for language to explain the, the greatly mysterious but somewhat explicable Mm. Um, what what brings you to the point at which you can speak about that as being a season that you have moved through, and even if it somewhat persists, you 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 know you've somewhat moved on from. At least that's that's how I hear you telling the story. Mm. Yeah, I think I think I'm still coming out of the weeds. I think the okay. parasectomy is still going on. There seems to be at least a 27 year surgery. It may be more. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Um, yeah, you know, it's just we live in this. We we live in such a, a chaotic age with the with the universe being out of sync with her creator. 
Okay, the fallenness of the world, which is like a gravity that just pulls us downward into darker space. It may even be the darker space of our own amusements and doing whatever indulgences, doing whatever we want to do at every moment. I mean, but the, the gravity of the world, the brokenness, the lies, the illusions we live under, the brokenness in human relationships, it just pulls us into darker space. And the breath of God, what Jesus called the, 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 the wind of the spirit, he's talking to Nicodemus, where you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so is everyone born of the spirit, that there's this invitation to live in a lighter environment, in, in a way where the breath of God gives life to us, and we follow that. But it's mm. not an either-or reality for me. Now, there's part mm -hmm. of me where I still live in this gravitational pull, and I notice that when I see in my life, you know, anxiety or fear or mm. anger. When I see those things, I go, okay, I'm not living in God's reality here. I'm not. There's something I'm missing. And, <laughs> and when I struggle with that stuff, there's a whole lot that I'm missing. On the other hand, there's parts of me that now live inside this other space where there's what, what Eugene Peterson called the unforced rhythms of grace. It's not a lot of work and it's not hard and God's revealed things and I've listened and I've followed and, and it, it, the fruit of that has led to great peace and joy and fullness and fulfillment and fruitfulness in my life. So I have both going on at the same time. And I would say probably more of my life is in the gravity side instead of the wind side. Sure. But I love that God keeps every day. There's an invitation into this wind and life of the spirit. And so I've got insights coming at me from all over the place. I've got thoughts about things that are my thoughts. I've got thoughts about things that are more worldly or Christianized yeah. thoughts that are, that look good for me, but maybe it's seeking my own comfort, not God's glory. And somehow when I have those moments of pause and say, God, what is it that you want here? And almost always now I know when I'm hearing God speak to my heart because I'm arguing with it. <laughs> I like every thought I've ever had. It's God's thoughts that disturb me. I mean, my thoughts, <laughs> you know, conform to the world I live in, what Wayne wants for his life, what I want for my kids, what I want for my wife, what I want in general. I mean, the, my, my insights are very clear about those things. I've spent most of my prayer life trying to convince my, him my thoughts are better than his thoughts. So when I hear something like, I've got more to teach if you walk away than if you stay, I'm mm. already arguing it before I get to the end of that insight. You know, it's mm. like, it's like Peter arguing with Jesus in, in uh, Matthew 16 about going to the cross. And God forbid it, Lord. And he says, yeah, you're looking out for man's interest, not God's. And he identifies that voice as Satan's voice. And he's not calling Peter Satan, but he's saying, mm. get behind me. He's, he's hearing what he doesn't want to hear because he's, you know, weeks away maybe from the cross. And he's going to have mm. to go down a road he doesn't want to go down. And mm. So we always quote the, the scripture, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But truly, the truth messes with us before it sets us free. Most of truth we don't want. It doesn't fit our little illusions of how we're surviving our life with our coping mechanisms and our desires we're meeting by certain things that are not godly and not necessarily ungodly, not necessarily evil, just human efforted. And so what I've loved about this part of my journey now is I get to wake mm. up in the day and it's like an adventure. So God, what do you want to show me today? What are you revealing? And how do I lean into that lighter space? And when I'm wake at three in the morning, racked by anxiety over grief or something going on in my life, then I'm, I'm still praying that prayer of God, what is it about you? I don't know that if I knew it, I'd be at peace here, but I'm not at peace here. 
And that isn't because that doesn't, that's not outcome. It's not outcome of a certain thing. It's just, how can I stay in your peace in the midst of the mm. chaos of the world I live in? And that becomes a very undefined, but to me, an exciting adventure every day. And when I'm with people, uh, I'm trying to help them see that too for themselves. I'm trying to help them. Mm. They're in situations and they're struggling and I'm going, okay, where is the light of God here? And yeah, it may, then I may like hearing it at first because truth is rarely embraced easily or we would have embraced it by now, right? Mm. Truth mm. always challenges our presuppositions about the world and the way we want it to work. And so Jesus' prayer, John 12, is, you know, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what do I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this reason, I came. For this hour is the reason I've come. So now I'm going to pray, Father, glorify your name. And that's where I'm learning that I find greater freedom when I'm in that Father, glorify yourself space than I am in the Wayne save, in, the, in God save Wayne space. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. I, I think I was, I was going to... I was going to kind of respond to you with some of the, of the framework that's where you've landed on and go, well, it feels a bit like an unfair question because I hear what you said earlier around it's somewhat of a, of a paradigm shift mm. away from what can I do? How do I force this? How do I make it? Mm. I'll build, I'll choose, I'll set course direction, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'll just deliver the final product to God and God will, give me five stars or not. Hmm. And the paradigm shift is, well, God is the one moving and I follow. Um, God is the dance lead. I'm the partner. Um, the call response, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And yet I want to ask a question that sounds as though I'm asking you to go back into the first paradigm, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not. And so when you landed on sitting with other people and asking them questions, um, asking them about this reality, where's the light of God, etc. I was thinking <clears throat> first, just to reflect what I hear you say, and then say, are there any other life experiences that you would share with me in, in, in that sort of light? I come to you and I say, Wayne, there seems to be an awakening in you. There's something that I recognize, something that I see. There's something that impacts me because of, of something that I, I somehow just sense and I see in you, but it's not quite as tangible as a, a, as a life completely turned around and everything successful or whatever, but there's something about the way in which you're hungering and seeking and responding to God. Help me to do that. Well, how do I do that? And, and that's why I feel as though it, it you know, it sets it up as a trap to go back into the first paradigm as, as if we can create this. And so part of what I hear you saying in this is that there is an openness to God you seem to, to hold quite, um, that, that's a very special can, thing for you. Can I step in there a bit, uh, Steve? Perhaps? Yeah, 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 go for it. I, I, think, I think part of the challenge is, is recognizing that although there are people that have a similar framework to the way you're thinking when there's a lot of people who don't and you, you reflect that for yourself there was a, a long journey changing from one paradigm to another um and and with that there's there's the change in perspective or orientation or paradigms through through which you engage god but for a lot of people and i think the majority of us people on the other side and the God that, or the picture of God to which people relate 
is not the God who's present moving in the world. It's the God who will occasionally sully himself to occasionally rescue someone to make a point to prove that the Bible's real. <laughs> mm. um, uh, sorry if I'm not necessarily being fair, yes, Steve, in terms of jumping in. So just jump back in when no, you might. So, 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 so I'm thinking that the, that, that the challenge and, the, and that the difficulty in between the paradigms is, is quite difficult because, because often people that are stuck in the one paradigm, they say that experience is not important. And they say that this kind of experience that you're talking about is not important. And so, and so for me, part of the, the question why I'm, why I'm jumping in is not only are people are locked into a different paradigm where God is a wrathful beast and Jesus is a nice one. And that doesn't just go back to, you know, Gnosticism in the second century or whatever. It's a, it's a very current um, tension, a very current dichotomy between um, these paradigms that, that clash. And it's also the paradigm that basically says, be good, perform and behave and believe right in order and, and belong right, and then God will love you. Um, many people in that space then question, how, how do you trust the voice as God? Um, and then basically go, well, I don't need to, I just need to read the Bible is one thing. But then the other thing is that that, that doesn't end up satisfying. So a lot of people do end up asking the question of going, help me. How do I also hear the voice of God? How do I make sense of it? How do I discern it? Um, and, and I guess um, what I'm asking and getting around to with that long ramble is, uh, is how do you respond to people like recognizing, you know, all, all of those kind of paradigm clashes, as well as, as the difference in, in how people respond to or look for God in and through those paradigms. Does that, does that make sense? It does. Um, but I, I, I would tweak the wording just a little bit, because if we're seeing it as two different, <laughs> if two different paradigms, then we're still up in our intellect, right? Trying to figure out, particularly if people are disillusioned by the one and they want to, they hear something that I'm saying that entices them. So they want to have a different paradigm. Mm -hmm. Then it's, then the next thought is what set of principles or methodologies do I need to wrap my head around to switch paradigms? Mm -hmm. And I, I look at it as a different trail. I was on a trail of achievement. Mm -hmm. Everything about my young experience with Christianity put me on that trail to achievement except the things I heard about who God was that I hoped he was, but I, I didn't see evidence that he was, but I hoped he was. Mm. Um, so this is, I see this is a very different trailhead and somehow mm. this two year period that I went through of, you know, abandonment and uh, rejection and rumored all that stuff that went on after I didn't go fight for my position back. So people believed that I had really left for some, you know, I had an affair or stolen money or something. And no one would ever say it was always, well, we just had character issues with Wayne and Wayne didn't go back to defend himself. Wayne didn't write a letter. Well, he actually wrote letters, but never sent them. To, <laughs> that's the truth. Because I felt like God said, I want you to trust your reputation to me, which I thought was great, man. If I'm going to, if I'm going to let God defend my reputation, that's pretty good hands for it to be in. I didn't realize that God wanted to kill my need for a reputation, mm. uh, but that was a big part of what made Wayne an achievement-based person instead of an affection-based person. So God's, God's kind of smart and devious that way, because if God led with that, there's a clear answer to that, and that's often no, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want me to destroy Hell your no. reputation? <laughs> yes. Yes. He's very clever, that guy. He gets you in on stuff, and then he goes, hey. 
but to me, this was a different trailhead. This, this trailhead begins with revelation and begins with affection, doesn't begin with achievement. And so when someone comes to me and says, I want to live the life you're living, I want to find my way into that kind of thing. And my next thing is, you, you know, you're not able to, right? You know, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. That's part of what you're laying down. Part of it's saying, oh, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So now my prayer becomes for them and hopefully them for themselves, Father, I want to learn to know you. I want to learn to follow you. And Part of that's getting a better sense of God's character. We've got God on the wrong side of the character issue. God's the warlike, angry deity out trying to guard his own reputation, integrity, whatever. And yet God's not like that at all. God's never been like that. People profane his name all the time. And even I think a lot of what's been done in the name of Christianity, even the last five years, profanes God's name greatly in the world. And you don't find God this real defensive. I'm going to come out of the clouds of glory now and beat the crud out of all you people defaming me. He's still revealing himself in wonderful, beautiful ways to people mm. who are looking for a bit of a different journey than the religious achievement journey takes them down. Mm. Sometimes that comes through great disillusionment and pain. I won't say that it doesn't. It just comes from, you know, one of the books I wrote was called Finding Church. What if there really is something more? And it's that tagline that what if there really is something more that I find appeals to so many people who are saying, yeah, I've done all this stuff. I've done it hard. I've worked hard, but there's got to be something more. If the upper room discourse makes any sense and there's peace that passes understanding and my abundant life will be in you and your joy will be full and you'll know me and you'll follow me and I'll give you my spirit and he will guide you into all truth. If those things are true, then my experience didn't meet that. But now mm. it does, uh, in a, in, not in a perfect way, but it does in, a, in an ascending way. Mm. And that's part of mm. what he's addressing with Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. Now, we, we ruined that because we took it. Now that's, that starts the journey. Mm. He's saying that to Nicodemus, who's grown up in all this religious stuff and has all these religious paradigms and mm. doctrines and practice that is going to keep him from following the wind of the spirit and born again for him means you need to throw all that out and start mm-hmm. over and become like a child again. So God can, in the innocence of not knowing, not being able to achieve, let God's breath be- begin to become the thing that's more real to you. And that takes a bit that takes sometimes even a uh, I had described to me, it took me a couple of years to find the trailhead. And I would say, mm. yeah, it took me a couple of years to find that trailhead too. It's not easy mm. to find because there's not much supporting it. There's not many book sales that go, people want the quick fix. I can do it. I just mm. need to learn a better principle. I will live better for God. That's mm. the mm. drive that keeps people going, but it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And when people finally get to the end of all that, and maybe they're ready for a different journey, then the prayer is, okay, God, what do you, I would wake up tomorrow and say, what do you want to show me today? And how do you want me to live in you today? And trust that through the course of your day, God will make something known to you. It's not that he answers me in that moment. I don't want to say, Jesus, who do you have for me to love today? He says, well, it's these people. No, but I go through my day looking for where's some, someone that's seemingly in need that I'm near that I could be helpful to? What, uh, what insight is coming at me through a book I'm reading or I tear up during a movie or a comment? Why did I tear up there? What's go- what, what did that prick in my heart that God is already working on that I'm not aware of yet? And it just becomes much more of the adventure of how do I live inside that ascending revelation? But it really is finding a different trailhead. That, that's what mm-hmm. And it's, his, it's hidden in the sense that no achievement from you will find it, but he will show it to you when you ask him. He will.
I, that's I exactly that. why I wanted to ask the question. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, how can I put this? In some ways, I, I had a sense that, that there would be an answer like that. Mm. But I think sometimes asking the question just allows, it just unlocks that part of the conversation mm. Um, mm. around this is not another one of those self-help mega church mm. um, find the right equation a plus b equals c moments mm. and some of what i hear you referring to there is is the unlearning process the letting go uh, you talk about you know becoming as a child etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and tim and i have often mused just in our work around and talking around church and spiritual community and institution and that sort of thing, this idea of, of exactly what you talk about, you, you've got to kind of scrub the decks clean. And, and there has to be, I like, I like the wording, the phrasing that you use of a different trailhead. You can't just keep going on the same road, the same trail and just tweak things here and there. Because the roots of what you're describing go so, so deep. The roots of ego and achievement and and persona reputation all of those those sorts of things um so thank you um that, that's a that's a really wonderful start a really wonderful answer the reason i say start is as i want to take you in a different direction unless tim's got something else he wants to to jump on here about no 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 i i really um um I really like that as an answer, and I, I partly push it the way I did because <laughs> I'm trying to lump all the all, all the critics <laughs> that I feel like gets yeah, into one, <laughs> you know, mm. into a neat narrow box, which is which is not fair. Mm. Um, and and I'm, I'm happy to acknowledge that, but it's it's part of that wrestling with it because, you know, it's a it's a question that comes up often. I I find I find that as people that are going through crisis ask the question of how can they but for them it's it's with a sense of openness to get to hear the voice of god or or to tune into the leading of god you know that as you say that that ascending revelation the the moving from um you know a point of departure a, a childhood towards greater clarity right Whereas, whereas I, I do find that that other people ask the question by way of, of shutting it down, and and that's that's something that's very difficult to 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 wrestle with, and I think over the years I've become more and more sensitive to what people are trying to achieve by the question. Um, I, I really like the way that you answer in the sense of going it actually isn't mm. a paradigm versus a paradigm. When it's not taking one system of thinking and trying to build a different system of thinking. And, and it's not just a matter of changing from one way of thinking, you know, living in the sense of I'm unworthy and I've got to prove worthiness to then changing your thinking and going, well, I must just live with the sense that I'm worthy. So all I've got to do is change my self-talk and then I'm hearing God as opposed to not hearing God. And, 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 and your answer takes it, takes it past that clash between paradigms and puts it on the pivotal a revelatory action, you know, the God that is showing up to speak and act um, in whichever small way that you can discern, but it's showing up clearly for you. And it doesn't help, obviously, that most people who say God told me X, Y, or Z is usually doing it from a very manipulative, controlling 
kind of thing. Mm. God yeah. told me to tell yeah. you to send me a thousand dollars. God told me to tell you that you're an idiot. Uh, it's you know, funny you should mention that because I heard earlier. <laughs> yeah. I think what's, what's sad is people use God told me to to run the same paradigm for their own achievement. Yeah. yeah. And I, when I know about people who listen to God best, number one, they never would say God told me X, Y, or Z, because it's not that clear. We're looking through a glass darkly. So I mm. kind of think God might be encouraging this in my life. So, I'm, so they mm. wouldn't use even the language God told me X, Y, or Z until years later. I can say, now say, you know, I feel mm. like God said, you know, I'm more to teach you if you walk away than if you stay. At the time, I'm going, man, I could be absolutely wrong about this. And if I am, I even prayed that God, if, if I'm being as selfish and independent as these leaders say I am, mm. reveal it to the whole city. I don't care if everyone knows. Mm. But I know now about those who have followed Jesus best over decades. Of, I know men in their 80s and 90s who've lived this way sure. for 40, 50, 60 years. Mm. And what, and all of them, this is true. The more, the better someone hears Jesus, the more humble and mm. sensitive and uh, enjoyable to be around. They're not mm. arrogant and snarky and demanding mm. and forcing their way. They're very, mm. there's a humility that goes along with the way God reveals himself that I think is absolutely powerful. Cause you think if someone heard sure. God, it would make them, man, I've, I've got this down. I'm hearing God. I'm doing it. That's not there. What's there is, yeah, I've seen some things and I hope to see some more things, but mm. yeah, I haven't got this all figured out because none of us do. That's the I, truth. I, I, I like that, but also there's a sense in which when people get that sense of hearing from God, they actually want other people to be able to do that for themselves. Mm. So there's mm, as opposed to owning it. Yeah. As opposed to I build my pedestal because I hear from God, you've got to come through me. Which, which is also a function of many consumer kind of churches and explosive churches, as opposed to the enabling. I, I hear from God, and this is God that wants to speak to you. <laughs> you know, and when the person comes and says, I want to hear from God, there's a sense of, 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 of course, well, God also wants you to hear from you. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. good. So, Steve, you had no, no, that's, ideas. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> but... So, so Wayne, one of the things that I, that I wanted to ask you as well, you seem to have written and thought a lot about, for lack of a better phrase for now, until you can, can help me more in terms of, of, of the work that you've put into this area, I'm going to call spiritual community. And in your answer to, to where we were previously, what I feel is that I hear you saying is that there is a relational element as well in terms of you to the person who does that asking, which seems to me to hint at the idea of some sort of spiritual friendship, mm. some kind of human to human connection that then says to me that there's a community element to what we're doing. So that would be my first sort of, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, if I am wrong, well, then the rest of this is going to get uh, derailed quite quickly. But <laughs> if I'm if I'm right, that that that's some of what you're hinting, and, and there's all sorts of language around that, whether it's a, a pastor me or mentor me or sort of peer to peer as friends. Let's discover this together. These questions that we're asking God, reveal yourself. If you're real, show show yourself to me, etc. Tell me a little bit about how you think about spiritual community, because 
you seem to have some very clear thoughts around institutional church, and that might be my language, not yours. So I'm free for you to disagree and put new language in and, and take us in whichever direction you'd like to in response to this. Um, so institutional church or religion, religious church, that, that sort of community aspect that's based in that space, as opposed to what I'm calling for now kind of spiritual community for lack of something better. I would love to hear your thinking and your journey there um, if, if, yeah, if I'm heading in a good direction for you. Yeah, I think that's fine. I'm just, let me throw some things out and you can explore what awesome. maybe would be more helpful to explore. I think the invitation to walk the way we've talked about it inside God's revelation is automatically leads us to community. It, it, mm. it, I, because I don't see completely. I want other people looking over my shoulder. If I'm dealing with a difficult truth or a difficult obedience, or um, I want somebody looking over my shoulder. So I'm, I'm, I'm constantly sharing the things that God is showing me with the, the frame of friendships that I have around me. Um, at any given time. So, and the best I think is if we get to Paul's theology of the church, you know, we, we all know in part and see in part, but the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I get a sliver, the best I'm going to get in my journey is I'm going to get a sliver of who God is. And when my sliver gets near your sliver and gets near someone else's sliver, that, that becomes a wider view of God. So community with the Godhead, because God is a community, Father, Son, and Spirit, we're invited into that community. Then I begin to recognize other people who are inside that community as well. And so the community that I cherish are the people that encourage me to the trajectory of living inside the Father's affection and His revelation. And what isn't community are those people that are leading me toward obligation and toward um, achievement. So the, the voices that you have around you are really important. If community voices, I, I tried for 20 years to manufacture community in an institutionalized setting, thinking we could train leaders and have small groups. And, and I, I did that for a mega church. I was the coordinator of the small group thing. And then in our community of house churches, we're trying to do differently. We were, again, trying to manage community and manage communities don't always work well. Um, in fact, I would say about 20% of the time a, a, of our home groups or whatever that we organize, about 20% would be great. And they, there was a connection. Those people were loving and sharing and growing with each other. And all the other groups struggled. And because we were trying to manufacture community and community is a gift God gives. So I, I think whenever we're trying to manage it, we're not looking for the way God's providing for it for us. So, I, and that's not, I'm not an anti-institution guy. I know people think I am, okay. but I, what I don't like is the idea that the institution is the church. I wish we would have called it something else because there's the confusion. The church is the living bride in the world. That's the church. Church is people who are living inside God's reality and for his glory. And that's not necessarily everybody in an institution, not necessarily true of the leadership of any given institution. But if you go to one, I think you still have the need to look for community. Who are the people here that God's inviting me to walk alongside, who encourage my journey, who when I'm with them, I feel lighter in my ability to trust God, to see him, to follow him. And who around here pulls me down with obligations and exhaustion and more responsibility? And so even if you go to one, which I, I think the church is always present in buildings we call church, there's people there who know him. 
not necessarily because of the program, maybe in spite of it, maybe because people have caught a better reality. But when you come into a place like that, don't just sit through a service and go home. Look for the connections God has for you. Invite those people out to lunch. Have them over to your house. Grow inside the relationships God's giving you that really help you live the life in Christ you feel stirred to live. And unfortunately, almost every institution over time, the obligation elements will always overrun the relational elements because we're trying to repurpose this thing. We're trying to do something that we can replicate in other parts. So we're going to plant more churches. So we're always looking for a system to provide that. And as one man said to me in Australia, Jesus didn't leave us with a system. He left us with his spirit. And if we trust his spirit to guide us and his spirit to link us up, we'll end up with better expressions of community than just going on Sunday morning and sitting in a pew or chair for an hour and a half and then going home. I really, I think community is about friendship. It's about people you're endeared to. Yeah, people that challenge you, people that are being honest with you and people that you can be authentic with. If you're having to pretend to keep a relationship, it's not a relationship. It's just pretense. So I'm, I'm, I'm nuts about community, man. The people I have around my life, the people Sarah and I walk with, the People, I, I, mean, I just got back from a 10-day trip in Florida, and I'm, I'm at a home for two days hanging out with a certain group of people, and I feel like community happens in those days. I go away endeared to them, mm-hmm. and they, uh, there was one family wrote me. They said, you were here three days, and our family gathering for Thanksgiving was saying, wow, we really miss Wayne. It was like a, a favorite <laughs> grandpa was here for three days, and then he left, and to me, that's community. We may only have it for a couple of days. I may never see them again on this planet, but what we experience together of love and authenticity and caring about each other and laughter mm. and play and fun. All of that was inside of it. And that's virtually everywhere I go mm. because I'm, I'm a relational person and I'm going to invite people into a relational engagement. And that's why mm. I don't do conferences. I don't do speaking things mm. because I don't think much happens when I'm speaking. I think a lot happens when I'm relating to people. Mm. And the stories of the gospels always were that for me, right? It's, the, the feeding the 5,000, well, none of those people are following a day later. But the woman at a well, uh, Zacchaeus, whatever happens at that lunch with Tim, those are moments that always caught my attention. Those things change the world. Mm. And it wasn't having a, a seminar somewhere and throwing up a bunch of flyers and getting everybody to come to a Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes or whatever. It wasn't that. Mm. It was finding people who could capture the reality of who God is and then pass it on to other people. <laughs> there's so much in that that strikes me and resonates with me that I don't even know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we're done. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, sure. I, I must be very honest. I think partly what I'm battling with as I listen to you is I'm having some flashes of moments of community of my own experiences within mm. churches and realizing some of the burden and some of the institutionalized relating to one another, mm. uh, if I'm following you well enough and almost reliving just a few, there were a few flashes of those that mm. came as I listened to you speak and just made me go, yeah, it's like madness. It, it honestly felt like I was killing myself to just achieve this, this mm-hmm. thing. And then thankfully also some other moments of flashes of just 
wow, some real amazing connections with people um, and, and some real life-giving spaces where, where it just was, was very, very special. That's, that's one of the elements that's just kind of fermenting there in me as I was listening to you speak that makes me go, whoa, that's, that, that's quite real and quite present to me suddenly. Um, mm. But the idea of engineering community Oh man, I, if I'm hearing you well, I, I couldn't I couldn't be more on sides with that. Um, I I would say probably nine times out of ten, if not more, I think that would just go quite. It seems to go really really badly. Hmm. Um, and I like your juxtaposition of that as opposed to a systematized way of dealing with each other, as opposed to the idea of relating. And then you talk about the gift of the spirit, and you're left with the spirit and. That also, for me, speaks to, 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 to relating with God and with each other in genuine and, and meaningful ways, if mm -hmm. I'm hearing you correctly there as well. Um, am I? Yeah, that, no, that is what I'm saying. And when people look back like you just did and say, gosh, there are relationships I've had like that that were fun to be with and challenging and encouraging, and it, it touched the deepest part of my heart, that's God giving us community. But we were taught that doesn't count unless it's an officially sanctioned event over here in the temple, then no, it doesn't count. That's not real community. And I, I want people to capture that view of community. Community is the people around you, the friendships, and it's more like family than it is like a business. Mm. businesses always have agendas and meetings and staff meetings and all that stuff's how we, we decided we'd put the bride into that box and that box doesn't express her. Well, never. I think the best we do is that we provide the environment in which real community can flourish. So you can't make it happen, but you could provide an environment where followers of Christ could meet each other, have fellowship, have conversation and whatever. And then those relationships would come out of something like that. That's, that'd be a, a better way to do it. But when you mm -hmm. recognize what real community mm -hmm. is and you've been touched by it, then yeah, no facsimile of it after that will ever satisfy. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, I really like what you're saying. I, I, I would almost, um, I'd want to say though, that that genuine community that you're talking about happens anyway, and God is instigating it and forming it. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, I feel like we've developed a paradigm, a doing church paradigm that says that, when we've got this box that we call the church in place and it's organizing these things, then it's community. And if it isn't, we don't recognize it as community. And I feel like that's, that's quite strongly seeded in our, um, in our environment, in our context. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a power play. I mean, I was having a similar conversation with a couple of people uh, um, a few weeks ago. We were, we had a pub just up the road um, from me and um and, and, and they're experimenting with community and trying to do um, community in a different way, which, which often for people means that they, they get something going and then they try a decision to trying to be the church, trying to be a church, <laughs> you know, and, um, and somewhere along the way, they often end up losing that vibrancy. So very few people that start off experimenting with community end up with quote unquote successful churches. <laughs> Um, and I think there's a whole bunch of questions and, and, and things to explore along those lines. But I think in many ways that it, it's hard to find the language around this for genuine community without being labeled anti-institutional. And, and you referred to that earlier. 
I'd I'd love mm-hmm. to know how you've managed that or how you're managing that or how you've grown in managing that almost as a label that's put on you. Yeah, I don't I don't worry about the labels people put on me. I mean, because I worked with the shack and you know, Paul Young later came out more universalist. Now people accuse me. I was just in a place where some elder there said I was a universalist and I said, I'm, I'm not. And, and they don't choose to believe me because people, people always use titles to marginalize, right? So mm-hmm. people who want to marginalize me, um, I, I'm not given to them. That, it's not my purpose to change their mind. Yeah. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit's purpose. My, my purpose is to find the hungry people in whatever environment I'm in Mm. who are already seeing these things or want to see these things and learn to walk in them. It's mm. One of my struggles as a pastor is for 15 years or 20 years, I spend most of my time motivating the complacent, trying to mm. get them to be more serious about their faith and trying to find that, that which could kind of inspire them to something they don't already want in their heart. And for the last 25 years, I just spend my time with hungry people. Mm. And the best thing I think I do for people who aren't hungry is to, is to encourage and feed the lives of the hungry people around them. So I don't worry about how people classify me and there's websites that'll say all kinds of horrible things about me. And <laughs> one said about the shack, we were trying to indoctrinate people into a black Madonna Hindu cult, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> no such thing exists. What um, a stretch. That's fantastic. <laughs> One of my real struggles back in that two-year period after I left the, the church I'd helped plant was uh, seeing Isaiah, and I think it's in the message where he's saying, how long, oh Lord, how long are you going to let people misunderstand me? And you're going to let people that, that lie about me and they do all these things. And Isaiah is just pretty upset about it. And the message Eugene Peterson has God responding, have you noticed I don't spend one ounce of my effort in public relations? <laughs> I, do I do what I do. And how people respond to it is part of their journey. And I love that. I love that freedom. I think one of the things that earmarks the problem we have with community in what we call churches today, and that we're more institutionalized environment. One, people have to pretend there instead of being authentic. There's a con- uh, institutions are always conformity based. So we stand up and sing at the same time, sit down, turn to our neighbors and say this and that. And then we pretend we've got a a good spiritual life. There's no ability to be honest about our struggles, maybe with a counselor somewhere in the back of the building, but then everybody thinks they're the only one struggling because they don't know each other's struggles and need. And authenticity is always where community comes from. When I'm honest with people about my struggles, that's what brings us together. When I talk about my achievements, it does nothing for our relationship. It may make them admire me for something I've done, but it doesn't, doesn't lead me to be their friend. And one of the things I think we know from the institution is they always have to eventually default to commitment, to obligation. You have to be here. It's obligated that we, this is the church. And if you're a Christian, you've got to be part of the church by being here. And that's the thing that's not true. If that place feeds and nurtures your journey with Jesus, great. I have no problem with it. But if it's trying to supplant the relationship God wants with you, now we've got a problem because now that same structure becomes an idol. Mm -hmm. So when they default to obligation, you must be committed. And we did when we had it. We talked about commitment because that's what makes it successful. Mm -hmm. That's what gets you the business model enough, you know, mojo to have enough money to pay for the building and pay for the staff and all that stuff. There's a whole business model that undergirds that. And everything we're talking about messes with that business model. Mm. So are people who really hearing what I'm saying, consider that maybe a threat to the kingdom they're building? 
Yeah, it probably is. And so they're going to say horrible things about me. And I'm, I'm just okay if they do. It doesn't, it doesn't define me for people to lie about me. It doesn't define me. So I don't worry about it. I love that. <laughs> it's yeah, so disarmingly simple I mean, and, and, and confident. That's it's good. Well, I only got here because God destroyed my reputation. I mean, I understand <laughs> a great bit of pain here that allows me now, and I love the freedom I get to live in now, but I didn't do this. He did this. I, I, I love this so much. I'm going to pray for it for Steve and avoid it for myself. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. <laughs> I'm being gloriously tongue-in-cheek there. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm really flippant. But, but sure, Wayne, it's, it's, it's almost mind-numbing for me, which is why I feel completely tongue-tied as I listen mm. to you, because you are so eloquently pulling together so many things that... That Tim and I have stumbled across ourselves mm. uh, in speaking with other people. I mean, I think back to when we spoke with Richard Jacobson um, yeah. of Unchurching last year sometime, and, and he was recounting a story about people meeting together in his, in his house for church. Mm. Um, and he said they had this like two hour period of connect and people chatting. And he said he just wandered through the house and there's few people in a corner praying and a few people outside connecting and mm -hmm. somebody in the back crying with friends and all this stuff happening. He says, and then at some point somebody stands up and says, right, uh, let's get started. <laughs> yeah. And it kills everything. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we've been busy for two hours as people have responded now in your mm -hmm. language, uh, you know, to God, God calling mm -hmm. and, and God initiating and inviting into what's happening there. And, mm -hmm. And then I think of uh, chatting with Brian McLaren and, and him using similar language. To... Now you did drop off. Sorry. Brian McLaren using what language? Sorry, my internet is coming and going, it seems. Mm -hmm. So Brian uses this language of, of almost describing a period in his life of, of similar to what you talk about, trying mm -hmm. to, to, to will the dead into life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he says, "Well, now he just has this glorious freedom. He works with the people who want to work with him." Mm. And and I hear something similar. If you know, obviously different people in different spaces potentially, but I hear something similar in what you're talking about. It's um, you you get to go and connect with the people who who want to make these connections, who are moving in this stream, perhaps for that language. Mm. Um, that's, I mean, that's something that, that really kind of gets my heart pounding as well, is to think, what would it be like to accept that invitation for myself, I guess, to just to move with that kind of rhythm and just go, okay, enough, enough flogging a dead horse, enough trying to make things work that are not working. God, what are you already doing? And I'll, I'll, I'll commit to that and I'll follow into that um, in terms of what that means. You, you perfectly summarized the choice, I think, right there. Am I, am I willing to risk going with the hunger of my heart? Because everything that's fed up, to, that's served up to us in more institutional self-help, self-effort kinds of things seem really like that's the safer route to go. Mm. And mm. the risk of following my heart, trusting God to reveal, trusting God to connect me with people that I'm to love and he wants me to love and that mm. will be gifts in my life and I'll be a gift in their life. Um, that that's the riskier road. And that, that's part of the whole self-help paradigm, as, as you described it earlier. Mm -hmm. it's, it seems more secure to us when 
my spirit will guide you into all truth. That seems insecure. And that seems, and I get it because I used to be there too. But I, here's the choice everybody makes at some point. This is the choice Nicodemus is facing with Jesus. Am I going to give this up and ride this wind or am I going to stick with what's safe, seemingly safe? And uh, I love that because that, that's the challenge for all of us. And we, ever, we don't ever stop facing it. You know, I've got things in my life today where I'm going, okay, as I'm describing that to you, it's not only where you find the trailhead, it's kind of where the trail goes on and on, where you just go, okay, am I going to choose what's safe today and what looks good for other people? Or am I going to choose what God's really put in my heart? And that's... That, that really hits on some language that we, that we also landed on, the, the language of it's always first person, present, continuous. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's us being you know it, it's being present to the god that is being present to us and being present to each other you know and that that it doesn't change we don't get to abstract that to the past or abstract it to pick to to the future or outsource it to an institution or to other people that are responsible within the institution really at all you know um yeah mm. yeah i i feel i feel i feel like you're you're about um 23 24 years ahead of us in this <laughs> <laughs> at least at least it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it to me i'm trying to I, I'm, try, I'm trying to upsell us here <laughs> um and, and so wayne what is um what does current day life look like and then if you can give me a sketch specifically around this idea of spiritual community um i mean i mean as as uh as kind of practical as you know do you do you belong to some sort of local church some local gathering um what do you spend your days doing um what, do, what are you busy with you've you've obviously written plenty which yeah. people can get hold of as well um what what does life look like now as you describe this point on the journey yeah in terms of community specifically or yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's start yeah. there. And anything else you you want to you want to, to yeah, put I mean, in I there think, in terms of your life and work at the moment as well? Um, yeah, I think I just described them. It's every day. Just God, what are you giving me to do today? And last week that put me in Florida. I feel like there's a surging tide among some twenties and thirties right now who are awakening to God's reality. I'm flying out to have a retreat with a few of them uh, this mm. Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday up in the mountains of Colorado. Um, so my life is just simply following Jesus today. And when I'm home, uh, there's a man I love, I work with, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, a undocumented immigrant here from Mexico, been here 40 years, I think 30 some odd years. And, uh, he works with gangbanging kids, teaching them boxing to get them out of gangs. And uh, sure. I'm helping him find a place to do that mm. and finding people around him to encourage that. And so, that's part of my community. I, there's two pastors in town that love hanging out with me. And I, I, I get with them every couple of months. We sit down, have a lengthy time of encouraging each other's journeys. Mm. Uh, we have friends that we hang out with. We have nothing we do every week. We have no meeting of people mm. anywhere. We gather with people. So, and then I, because of the nature mm. of my life, I have people flying from all over the world. We're in LA. Can we come visit you and Sarah? And we try and have sure. as many of those as we can come visit us. So our, our, our life in, in terms of community is pretty full just with everything that goes on in our life. But if we, Sarah mm -hmm. and I end up on a calmer week, 
we're usually just asking him, God, is there anybody you want us to be with this week? Anybody you want us to hang out with? And he'll put people in our heart. He'll invite them out to dinner, over to dinner, connect some people together we feel like should know each other. And it's very living and dynamic. It's, mm. the, it's the better part of the gospels to me. I, when I was a pastor, I used to frustrate me that I was everything I was doing, I couldn't find in the gospels. Jesus was doing very little <laughs> of what I was doing by week doing, right? Yeah. He was just going through life and there were people to talk to and lives to change and stuff happened, unfolded. And I remember being frustrated. God, if I just walked around, nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I live in that space where just there's enough unfolds every day between phone calls and mm-hmm. a dear man who's been a mentor to me for a long time is on the verge of death uh, today, about 200 miles away. A guy I love that helped me write so you don't want to church anymore deep, deep friend and mentor. And so I'm helping the family with that today and, and eventually go up and do the service for him. He wants me to do it. So yeah, it's just whatever God unfolds, the day holds. And what I love about not having obligated meetings is I have space in my life for all of that and time with my family and my grandkids and time with Sarah and nothing Mm -hmm. about my life feels crunched or hurried these days. It all feels at rest. And I love that. Sounds absolutely easy to love. I mean, sure. Yeah, it is. I I love your commitment to the relational. You know, you said a while back that you know you don't take speaking conferences, etc. Um, that that's obviously just as I listened to you, and and I think you've stated as much. It's a deeply formed part of you that has that has come to be formed, um, in terms of of your grounding in that what happens happens when when real life is just happening between one-on-one small groups of people you know i hear you talking about flying out to retreats with small groups of people meeting one-on-one with others um i I love your commitment to that grounding in the relational i think that's it's exceptional um and yet i don't hear you having reached for that as if it was something to achieve um, yeah, and it's not a commitment you know, to it. I mean, I, I, I'd rather, I wouldn't rather be anyplace else. So it's not even a commitment to it. I'd rather be in a room with six, eight people talking about the journey than I would standing on a stage to a thousand sure. by far. That's so very, it's not a commitment. Yep. Sure. Sure. You know, I, I must admit this, there's so much in the way in which you speak about genuine community and the natural emergence of it and and just the, the the relationality of it and being present to that and enjoying it that really reflects a lot of what uh what steve and i have been um i think grappling with and speaking about between us but but then also being immersed just with the frustration with how institutional a lot of this is and and how you know and, and with the letting go of that you know the letting go of that and entering into you know, as you say, the risk, the the, um, you know, picking picking up that different trailhead in terms of working with community, and just wrestling with the question of like, what is it, you know, what does it look for Steve and I to be committed to that and to be processing that and journeying into that, um, you know, it's been so so. I mean, everything that you're saying, yeah, is just it's so resonant with with the conversations that we we've been having, you know, both on the podcast and and off the record and. And I think with the stuff that's stirring within us and, you know, it's just, uh, it's just tremendously inspiring. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're welcome. And what I love about it is, is nothing, if, if anybody's heard this and 
creates a, a paradigm out of it they're going to pursue, it's going to fail. Yeah. If, if what they hear hungers them enough to say, Jesus, will you lead me into that reality the way you have it for me? Mm-hmm. And then just begin to do that day by day, just follow what he puts in front of you. It's mm-hmm. not a strategy that we can work our way to. That's what I love yeah. about it. If, if Jesus doesn't invite us there and we don't follow him into there, we'll, we'll, we'll miss it because mm-hmm. it's not something humans can contrive. Well, Wayne, I'm, I'm aware of your time and that when we spoke that you'd committed 90 minutes to our conversation, and I think we must be on there at the moment. And so with, uh, with that statement that you've just made, I, I can't think of a, a more fitting space for us to end if, uh, if I'm right about your, your time limitations. Um, yeah, well, I, yeah, I feel like we probably covered a lot. And uh, I, <laughs> I have appreciated the time with you guys. I appreciate the things you're exploring and asking about. It's been wonderfully encouraging to me. Um, I love it. So if, if you want to process some of that and talk again later, let me know. Happy to do it. I, well, I mean, straight off the top of my head, absolutely would love to process that absolutely. and would love to speak again. Definitely. I mean, it's, uh, this has been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you giving the time to this conversation. Thank you very much.